Welcome to the second episode of Grace. Yes, indeed, we are still alive after the first episode. Thank you for joining us once again, and thank you for all the feedback and constructive criticism that we received after the first episode. And trust me, we are taking it all into consideration. Now, once again, we've got a whole load of good things lined up for you today. But before we get into things, starting off with a prayer of St. Mary of the Cross MacKillop, said by one of our parishioners, Ramilla. Prayer of St. Mary of the Cross MacKillop Ever-generous God, you inspired St. Mary MacKillop to live her life faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ and constant in bringing hope and encouragement to those who were disheartened, lonely or needy. With confidence in your generous providence and through the intercession of St. Mary MacKillop, we ask that you grant our request, that you bring peace and comfort to those who are ill. We ask that our faith and hope be fired afresh by the Holy Spirit, so that we too, like Mary MacKillop, may live with courage, trust and openness. Ever generous God, hear our prayer. We ask this through Jesus Christ. Amen. So, uh, there's, it's it's coming to spring and summer, and I don't know about you, but my hay fever is really playing up quite badly. <laughs> uh, sorry, guys. Okay. Uh, can... Oh, Dan, do you need a handkerchief? Handkerchief? What's so good about a handkerchief? Dan, Dan, Dan. So many times I've been walking around the street, I pull out this bad boy, this handkerchief, and so many people, they come up to me and say, Jack! Jack, why, why do you need a handkerchief? And I just, I sigh. Because I've come across someone who's ignorant of the fact that handkerchiefs are most possibly one of the greatest inventions in this common day and era. Now, there's a number of reasons why uh, handkerchiefs are so great. Versatility. Fashion. And that's it. <laughs> <laughs> But boy, are they great reasons. So first off, we'll cover fashion. Because fashion. When I see someone with a handkerchief, I think, oh, now that guy got up in the morning and he knew what he was doing. You know, he got straight out of bed. He made it. He had some brekkie. He had his shower. He did his tea. You know, he got changed. And then the final touches. Wallet, keys, handkerchief. It's just the cherry on top, the thing that ties everything together. Now, Lewis, who I'm sitting beside at the moment. Lewis, are you a firm believer of the handkerchief? I'm a firm believer. I'm of the handkerchief side. Unfortunately, I don't have it with me today. I forgot to bring it. Uh, so That's okay, so- <laughs> Lewis. I brought a spare. <laughs> so, yes, versatility of the handkerchief, um, as you all know, can be used for a wide variety of applications there's of course the usual blowing of the nose uh, there's also the wiping of the the sweat from the forehead when we look back in history actually 
Um, you see that the handkerchief came from ancient Greece and Rome. Of course, then uh, handkerchief came from the French word uh, kerchief, which meant to cover uh, your head. So the handkerchief was worn over the head. And in that instance, of course, it would probably be made of cotton. But now there are many, many varieties of different fabrics which you can make a handkerchief. Isn't that right? You've got cotton, cotton synthetic blend, synthetic, <laughs> silk, even linen. So yes, very, very versatile. Very interesting piece of fabric. Some of you may know that on the 3rd of October, on the feast day of St. Francis of Assisi, Pope Francis released his third encyclical. Now, an encyclical is just a fancy word for saying a letter from a religious higher-up, so whether that be a bishop or a pope. So this most recent one that Pope Francis released is titled Fratelli Tutti, which its English translation means all brothers. Now, it's quite a lengthy letter. Uh, Lewis, how many words do you think are in the Fratelli Tutti? Uh, interesting question. Uh, judging by the way you're asking, I think you're trying to trick me here. Um, it's either something really big or something very small. Uh, I think I'm going to go with 40 words. I'm, I'm guessing it's going to be quite a succinct, you know, sort of like a blurb to a book. A blurb to a book. Well, I think you would have been closer off if you said it was more of a book than the blurb of a book because the Fratelli Tutti comes in at a whopping 43,000 words, which is quite a lengthy uh, letter with 288 references, which is quite impressive. Anyway, um, so over the next couple podcasts, we hope to go through the Fratelli Tutti and just summarize a couple different things that Pope Francis had said. So starting off with the first chapter of Fratelli Tutti, we have Dan to have a little discussion on that. So the Fratelli Tutti is a very long encyclical, and it's also quite deep. The first chapter does paint a rather dark picture. In fact, the title is Dark Clouds Over a Closed World. The Pope says that we need to live in a fraternal society. We need to live as brothers and sisters, but in order to do that, we need to defeat the virus. Now, the Pope isn't just talking about COVID, but in fact, he's talking about the virus of radicalized individuality. We are so obsessed with ourselves that we fail to see our brothers and sisters sometimes as what they are, humans made in the image and likeness of God. We have unemployment, poverty, the disparity of rights. We've built up a culture of walls. We've increased in isolation, fueled by fear. To quote directly, I invite everyone to renew hope, for hope speaks to us of something deeply rooted in every human heart, independent of our circumstances and historical conditioning. Hope speaks to us of a thirst, an aspiration, a longing for a life of fulfillment, a desire to achieve great things, things that fill our great hearts and lift our spirit to lofty realities like truth, goodness, beauty, justice, and love. Let us continue then to advance upon the paths of hope. In the second chapter of the encyclical named A Stranger on the Road, the Pope emphasizes how members of an unhealthy society 
turn their backs on the frail and the vulnerable. We are called, all of us are called, to be like, most possibly, one of the most famous strangers on a road, the Good Samaritan. Just like the Good Samaritan, we are called to be neighbours to all, despite prejudices, personal interests, and historical and cultural barriers. We are all responsible for creating a society that includes, integrates, and lifts up those who are suffering. Love rebuilds those who are broken, and love builds bridges that connect us all. Hi everyone, I'm Joanna, and I'm here to talk to you about our parish Bible reading group, and to invite you to be a part of it. We read a chapter a day of the Bible, and you can read it at any time. Each day, we post questions you can reflect on, and we invite you to share your thoughts. We started early this year reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and making our way through the New Testament. And the hope is to read the entire New Testament by Easter next year. You can join us via our Facebook or WhatsApp group to receive daily reminders. The idea of this group is to develop a daily Bible reading habit and deepen our personal relationship with God. I can speak for myself that it can be hard to build that habit of reading the Bible daily, but having this group and the reminders help me to read the Bible and understand about God's love and unending mercy. As Pope Francis said, the Bible is a love letter from God to humanity. If you would like to join our parish Bible reading group, check out the parish Facebook page at Catholic Parish of Epping and Carlingford or check the parish bulletin for details. So I was talking to some friends the other day and what tends to happen when you get into Catholic circles, at least what I tend to find, is you ask the normal questions like, oh, hey, how you doing? How's it going? And eventually when you meet someone and you're not a hundred percent sure what they're about the question often gets asked what's your personality type now there's a few ways of talking about personality types megan have you heard of this before hey dan yes i definitely have so i think what you're referring to is actually the four temperaments am i right oh the four temperaments sounds good tell me more about the four temperaments so this is one of the oldest personality theories by the way fun fact and basically, it comes from the Greek physician Hippocrates. He said that people can be divided into a mixture of four different types of personalities. So these are phlegmatic, choleric, sanguine, and melancholic. Okay. No, I think I have heard of this before. I mean, I have because we've, we've spoken about this a couple of times and this is, uh, I'm ruining the illusion, but yes, we have spoken about this. Uh, the four personality types, phleg, sanguine, melancholic, and choleric, all to do with four broad categories of personalities. I think sanguine's to do with blood or water or something along those lines. It's a very old system. Um, I never really got why we used it though. How do they work exactly? So it's just basically a way for people to get a better understanding of each other without asking all those long questions like, hey, what keeps you up at night? <laughs> or hey, what are your hopes and dreams? Don't worry, man. Hippocrates got your back because he basically said that people 
have similar interests and they can be put into these mixture of four different boxes. So, would you like to hear a little bit more about how you can type people? I would love to have... hear more. Tell Ooh. me more about it. All right. Awesome. So, let me just talk about the very first type, which is sanguine. And by the way, spoiler, this is the best type um, because I fall into it. So, essentially, a sanguine person is somebody who loves to talk, probably talks your ear off, is super enthusiastic, active, and social. Um, so, sanguines tend to be the more typically extroverted ones, and you usually find them out at a party or just basically in a crowd. These people just love to be social, outgoing, and apparently we're very charismatic. Please confirm that. Please tell me I'm charismatic. You're amazingly charismatic. I've not seen more charisma. Now, what, well, happens, thank you. what happens if instead I need some sort of leadership type person instead? Who should I go to? Oh, so glad you asked. This is where you take a look at the choleric people. Now, these are your leaders, okay? These people are generally more extroverted, um, but they're also independent, decisive, goal-oriented, and ambitious. So these are definitely the people to look out for. You know, they're also going to be very dominant and quite result-oriented. So whenever you need to get something done, just make sure you grab that choleric friend by the ear and get them on it. Sounds cool. Sounds a bit exhausting, though. How about we pull it back a bit? Like, what are some people who are a bit more chill, a bit more introverted, so to speak? Yes, of course. So in that case, let's take a look at the melancholics. Now, despite the rather melancholic name... These people are definitely not sad or moody. Rather, they just tend to be the more analytical and detailed-oriented people. Um, these are the ones that will make sure that the work you do is indeed correct and double-checked. These people are also more self-reliant, but they're the ones who can give you really deep thoughts and insights. They're definitely the sort of people who you want to really rely on when you want to make sure that something is done thoroughly. Sounds very deep. I'm just getting a bit exhausted by this, though. Who are some people I can just chill with? Oh, well, in that case, I should definitely turn to you, Dan, my phlegmatic friend. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about the last personality type? Uh, I don't know. I'm pretty tired. But that does actually line in pretty well with phlegmatics because if us phlegs, we're pretty relaxed, peaceful, easy-go-lucking kind of people. We're normally quite sympathetic and we care for others. Uh, and we're also pretty much taking good ideas and making compromises. So... If you need something to happen, a choleric will get it done. If you want someone to let it happen, the flag will go, oh yeah, that's all right, I guess that's good enough. One thing I also want to add is phlegmatic people are some of the best people to have when you're in a high-pressure situation because they can remain calm and easy and will help make you less stressed. After all of this, I am indeed much less stressed. That is our four temperaments. Thank you for listening. Now, this podcast will be released on the 17th of October, 2020. This particular date is special um, because it was exactly 10 years ago, on the 17th of October, 2010, that Mary MacKillop was canonized as a saint and henceforth recognized as Saint Mary of the Cross. Now, I think... Uh, the particular thing about Mary McKillop is that she was Australia's first saint. So I think it was a proud day for many, particularly Australian Christians.
Right. So Mary was born in Fitzroy in Melbourne in 1842, actually where the Australian Catholic University is today. Uh, she was born to Scottish immigrants and was the eldest of eight siblings. Uh, at the age of 14, Mary got a job and started to support her family, who were in financial struggle and often homeless. As Mary grew older, so did her faith and belief in God. And in 1866, Mary founded the Sisters of St. Joseph of the Sacred Heart in a town called Panola in South Australia. It was an establishment that offered uh, elementary education to poorer families and children from rural areas. And then, of course, Mary's miracles. So as we all know, it takes two miracles to become a saint. Uh, and Mary MacKillop did just that. So her first miracle was the cure of a woman called Veronica Hobson, who had leukemia. And that was in the year 1961. But the miracle that she's most known for is her second miracle. So St. Mary's second miracle was a cure of a woman who was suffering from lung cancer. This particular woman's name was Kathleen Evans. And she visited a surgeon to be informed one day that she had five to six years left. Kathleen got worse as the cancer spread, but a friend managed to send her a picture of Mary MacKillop attached to a piece of Mary's clothing. Kathleen's family was given prayer cards, asking them to pray the same prayer, asking Mary MacKillop to intercede to God on their behalf. From that day on, Kathleen grew stronger, and after some more tests, Kathleen was told that there was no sign of cancer anywhere, just scarring where the cancer had once been. St. Mary brought the message of human dignity to all those she encountered. For all this, she is honoured in the church and especially in Australia. So, um, before you start, I should let you guys all know that I'm a big sucker for TED Talks. And this is how my story begins. So, one day I was scrolling through a TED Talk which had one of those really clickbaity titles. This one being, Free Life Hack to Improve Your Confidence. And like the sucker I was, I had to click into it. But I'm so glad I watched that video because it gave me some tips that have been invaluable for me during stressful situations. So, do you guys want to know what the hack is? Yeah! Yeah! Love your enthusiasm. Love, love this enthusiasm. So now, before I tell everyone what this hack actually is, I'm going to ask you guys all listening to do a little audit of your posture. How are you guys sitting right now? How many of you are making yourselves smaller? Maybe you're hunching, crossing your legs. Um, maybe you're wrapping your ankles, like maybe Dan is doing right here. Uh, or Dan. The reason I ask this question is because the way we hold ourselves can have a huge impact on how we project our power onto others. So we know, of course, that our thoughts can have an effect on the way we move our bodies. So, for example, when we feel powerful, we make ourselves big, we stretch out, and we take up space, basically, opening up. So, 
for you, Dan, um, when you feel really powerful, uh, what do you like to do? Well, what I like to do when I feel really powerful is I do tend to try to make myself bigger. A friend of mine was telling me the other day about you can sort of look a bit like Superman, a Superman pose. What? What? Actually, can you remind me again how the Superman pose works, Megan? Oh, so I'm very glad you asked because some of the poses that we're going to learn today, including the Superman pose, are the types of poses that basically reflect confidence. And the idea of this hack is that when we move our bodies, we can make our bodies affect our thoughts. So the idea is, right, when we make a pose that represents power, so for example, the Superman pose, um, it in turn makes us feel more confident. It just gives us an instant rush of confidence that we would need in stressful situations. So for today, I'm basically going to teach you guys a few of these poses. And if you like, Dan, um, you can do them with me. Yeah. So for these first set of poses, I recommend getting a chair. And if you happen to also have a table around, even better. So the first pose is called the president. So what you do is you rest your feet on the table like so. Oh, look at that. That's a real, that's a real powerful thump on the table. Then what you need to do is just outstretch your arms and put them behind your head. <sighs> and then you lean back. Uh, just make sure that your chair is nice and solid and rooted to the ground for this one because um, you could potentially fall down like our volunteer dad did just now. But that aside, Dan, um, did you... I think um, he definitely did feel a little bit more confident after that one, I hope. So the next pose that we're going to do is called the CEO. So essentially, um, this time you don't need to put your um, feet on the table, but all you need to do is place your hands behind your head, rest an ankle on the knee and lean back. The whole idea of this pose is to take up as much of the seat as possible. Basically, you're telling everyone, hey, I'm a boss, I own this chair and I own you. And that's the kind of boss energy you want to be ex exerting when you do these poses. Now, the next one is the performer. So in the performer, we basically puff out our chest, have our arms spread out and stand with feet apart. Kind of the pose you see talk show hosts do um, pretty commonly. And then the last pose and my personal favorite and also dance is the Superman. So basically, the Superman is where you puff out your chest, put your hands on your hips and stand with feet apart. Now, the real great thing about these poses is you can just do them by yourself or in front of the mirror two minutes before you enter an interview or say a speech and instantly you'll feel a lot more confident. And even though I've shown you these five power poses today, basically any sort of pose that makes you feel confident is what you can basically use to help give you that extra boost of power. And I hope that these poses will help you out in your daily life.
Sometimes we like to get a bit more serious here and look at the news. So today we're looking at Vatican news. The Pope said something really interesting during Angelus. He spoke about gossip and its negative harmful effects. Specifically, he is quoted as saying, gossip is a plague worse or more awful than COVID-19. He also gave us some steps in how to avoid gossiping. But before we get through that, gentlemen, what do you think about the Pope's statements? Oof. So gossip is a worse, worse virus? Or worse, worse plague. Worse plague than COVID-19. Well, I appreciate the, uh, I guess, the relevant references. That's good, you know, keeping up to date. Um, I think it's definitely applicable, because for me, I can't say... Now, before I speak, I will say that, you know, I'm sure I have done this in the past. In, in order to not be a hypocrite, I shall say that. Um, but, you know, not a not a fan. Not a fan of gossip, you know? It just sort of, you know, whether it's good or bad, it just spreads like that. Like it was just... Like a plague. Like a plague, exactly. It's just like a plague. Like you'll do, you'll say one thing to one person, and a month later, someone just comes back to you and said, I heard you said this about me. I was like, whoa 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 hold on let's get some things straight it just gossip it just takes everything out of proportion just escalates what is being said yeah i think that's really true i think the escalation part and it it warps so quickly as well uh where it's the what has been gossiped about isn't even close to what was originally discussed um i remember once i was on a i was on a work camp uh back in year 10 a little while ago, and uh, somewhat people having competitions about who was stronger because you know a bunch of boys they wanted to go on oh who's the biggest strongest toughest as your ten boys tend to do. Uh, the conversation went from one boy being stronger to another boy. So in the space of three days, one boy saying that he was a great fighter and he would beat up any other person no matter what. We came to a point where there was a nearly a massive brawl between two boys who had nothing against each other, mind you. They were friends a few days ago, but the gossip had just shifted and warped. This was 100% true. Shifted and warped so much that it turned into like almost a gang rivalry just because of small talk and how gossip spreads and spreads and spreads. Um, yeah, I think it is really true that uh, we're all culpable. We all gossip all the time. Uh, but when we aren't careful with our words, it can impact in ways that we can't even predict it's interesting though you say um gossip warps and changes and the connection to that with sort of a virus like covid19 i don't know just a thought that maybe well a, a difference between the two is that the vac the the, the virus covid19 might change over long time periods but gossip changes you know between every, every sort of interaction it- Absolutely. But then the other thing is that while we might not have a vaccine for COVID-19, well, then you sort of think, well, what's the vaccine? Is there a vaccine for gossip? And perhaps, you know, you sort of look at, oh, what, what, what cures gossip? Is there an active force that can counter gossip? And I don't know, in my opinion, it would be telling, just being honest, being truthful. Absolutely. I think you cannot say that any you can't say anything truer than that being truthful if you're someone who is who sticks to their word and is truthful and is honest and tries their best to avoid gossip you can i suppose 
cure the gossip around you, so to speak. Uh, it's really that's really interesting because some of the some of the stuff that uh, the Holy Father says is uh, one of the things he says when you're when you're judging someone, uh, don't judge them and don't make a big deal. But if someone has wronged you, discreet uh, discreetly admonish them. In other words, speak to them in a conversation and tell them what they've done wrong. Uh, and truthfully and honestly, because you can you can hurt with the truth. You can, there are harsh truths, and there are just like sometimes people say there are white lies. There are oh, black yeah. truths. There are things that are true but can really hurt. Uh, and the second thing is, is is to get help, and actually aim towards getting help and doing the right thing. And finally, turning to the church itself and repenting for your sins. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the light. And right. we can essentially use Jesus for many, many things. But one thing is to see how the truth, although it's hard sometimes, and although gossiping and saying slightly mean things behind people's back doesn't seem like a big deal, it does absolutely impact negatively. Hmm. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. So. Can you believe what, what Lewis said about gossip? I cannot believe that he would say something like that. Oh my gosh, I know. I'm going to tell everyone that Lewis has really strong opinions about gossip. I'm just kind of Thank you. Thank you, Jack and Lewis, for joining me here today. Uh, today we're going to talk about really important topics. I think that you know, sometimes on radio, we like to tell jokes, we like to play games, but really sometimes we have to talk about the important topics, the real questions that modern philosophers and modern historians have been asking day to day to day. I think we all know the most important one, and that is the one that's been argued oof, my entire life, and that, is, of course, is pineapple on pizza. Oh, excellent question, Ben. Excellent question. Now, are you in the affirmative camp or are you in the negative camp? Are you a pineapple lover or are you a sensible person like myself and know that pineapple is, in fact, just nonsense, sugary, confectionery platitudes? It's garbage. See, I'm glad you announced your opinion beforehand, Dan, because usually I have the tendency to change my answer depending on who's asking. Because I do have a very, a very let's say, a, a passionate Italian friend, um, and he, is, he makes his opinions quite clear. Um... In most circumstances, you know, I can't, I can't, I'm not going to turn down a piece of ham and pineapple pizza, but in any other circumstance, I'm probably going to have to hold off. So I guess if you wanted a simple yes or no to does pineapple belong on pizza, I would say it doesn't belong, but I ain't complaining if it's there. Uh, okay. Offense that I see. Jack, I appreciate your honesty. It's very kind of you. Uh, perhaps Lewis has slightly more to shed light on. What do you think? Where do you where do you sit on the wall? It's funny you bring up the question. Actually, very recently I was debating this very topic with my friends, and we've come to the conclusion that whether it belongs there or not is not not an important question. The fact is, it's good. If it tastes good, it's there, and I'm not going to say no. So. So. You see, I, I feel like I've got some, some pineapple apologists here. You guys are... I mean, I get it. You don't want to alienate fans. and it, It's completely understandable. Um, would you take beetroot on pizza, though? A sweet, 
fruit-like substance. I, I wouldn't take beetroot, but I'll, t- I'll tell you why. Not, not why you think I wouldn't. I wouldn't take beetroot because, as we all know, beetroot stains. And, and when you cook the beetroot, the whole pizza will become purple. I see. And no one likes purple pizza. So. I see. This man, this man. And that's he, the reason. That's, uh, that's, that's, quite, that's quite wise, I must say. Uh, to be fair, though, would you, would you not eat a, a, like a maroon, like a purple pizza? I, no, no, no. I think I'd prefer a purple pizza more than perhaps a pineapple it's pizza. It's very alien. It's... Hmm. See, if you're so concerned about the stains, you could just really, really sort of take out... Surely they have dried... You could do raw beetroot. Raw, <laughs> you could do raw beetroot. <laughs> it wouldn't stain that way. Because it's a juice that stains. I don't know. Steam it for a bit. You know, like carrots and whatnot. I see no problem steam with this. Beetroot. I see no... Fair enough. I mean, ask the listeners, do we want to steam beetroot and put on a pizza? So, with some of the survey data that we've collected through rigorous means, this is a really big survey I did, uh, we had a whole 40 responses. So, just calm your farm, like... Statistically accurate. Statistically accurate. That's, that's, that's three standard deviations of data. P-value of less than 0.05. <laughs> uh, you see, I found, we found that... In fact, you know what, Lewis, see that the people agree with me. Read out this beautiful data. Well, I'm seeing 42.5% say no... With an added exclamation mark, ew. Not just no, it's a passionate no. Uh, 32.5% say yes, delicious, good, there's some sensible people. And 25% say maybe, sitting on the fence, like my friend Jack. Oof, okay. Just want to clarify, I'm pretty sure I had very similar views to Lewis over here. You, if I, if, it's, correct me if I'm wrong, you said it's not a, it's not a question as to whether it belongs or not. Right, as yeah. to whether it's good. And and I think my words were, I think, no, it doesn't belong. But if it's there, I ain't complaining. You hear it? You hear it here. Jack, pineapple sympathizer. Given the special occasion of today, you may have noticed that we started off this podcast with a prayer about Mary McKillop. And we shall... Additionally, end with one. God of the Pilgrim, Mary MacKillop trusted your guidance in her journey of life and deepened her confidence in your will. May we renew our trust in your providence to lead us in hope. May we relish the sacred in the ordinariness of our lives. May we grow in the fullness of your love and the depth of your mystery. We ask this through Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. Thanks for tuning in to our second installment of Grace. As always, be sure to send through your thoughts and feedback. We'd love to hear what you think. Feel free to talk to one of our radio crew after Mass, or shoot us an email on graceradio at epcal.org.au. We're always looking for more volunteers, so if you can help in any way, please do get in touch. Please also be sure to share this podcast with friends and family and get keen for our next episode.